Welcome to the C3 Church podcast. Here at church, we are passionate about people and helping them in their walk with God. We hope this Sunday message speaks to you today. Thank you. Thank you, Steve, for that great welcome. Uh, as regard being a pastor for 170 years, I am glad to be here, but at my age, I'm glad to be anywhere, to be honest with you. Actually, it's funny, when you're, whenever you get older, you get scammed. Anybody ever been scammed? Phone calls, you get scammed? Guess what happened to me a couple of weeks ago? There's a phone call. Is that Paul Reid? I said, yeah. He said, we've got all your passwords. I said, Priscilla, good news, somebody's got our passwords. I said, hold on a second, I'll get a bit of paper and a pen, I'll write them down, okay, go ahead. No, I didn't really, but I would be glad of a call like that sometimes, to be honest with you. Um, well, first of all, greetings as we continue our series in uh, Romans uh, I'm on the valley of sin today. And uh, to be honest with you, I felt the weight of it during the week because uh, it's something that, uh, in, certainly in Romans uh, 1, 2, and in, in the 3, uh, Paul describes the human condition. I'm thankful for Andrew's book, which I have endorsed. Uh, I think it's fantastic. Uh, if you're not a theologian, you want to understand what the gospel's about, Seriously, get this book, because when you read it, you'll you'll get some. You'll go. That's what the gospel is all about. I want you to imagine that you are walking along the street, and a man bursts out of a door, and he and he's got he's breaking up uh, champagne, and he's got cigars, and he's giving them out, and he goes, "Yes, we've cracked it. Yes, victory at last. Yes." We've discovered what the answer is. Yes. And then somebody says, what's the issue? What problem have you solved? And in a sense, Romans chapter 1 up to 17, 18, is Paul doing the headline act. He calls, he says, it's the gospel of God. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And then immediately he comes into describing what this salvation is all about and what we've been rescued from. He describes the human condition. And we're going to have a look at that today. You don't need to be a genius to understand as you look around society and over our world that there's something wrong with what we're going through right now. Paul says we need a diagnosis of what the human condition is. And I'll say that again. Something is wrong. I don't think things are inherently worse or people are inherently more messed up. It's just that we've got social media and we need to be more aware aware of it. Let me give you a quote from the fourth century BC from Plato. And he said this, what is happening to our young people? They disobey their parents, they ignore the law, they riot in the streets, and they're inflamed with wild passions. So two and a half thousand years ago, guess what? Nothing had changed. But Paul shows us in this section what's gone wrong and what is the inevitable consequence of our actions. 
both universally and for you and for me. It's deeply, deeply personal. So immediately after declaring the gospel is the good news, he brings God's salvation to us. He also comes up with the bad news. We're using the analogy of climbing a mountain. And before you can begin to ascend the mountain and the great things of the gospel and salvation, we have to start in the valley and in the valley of sin. Let me read to you what he says in verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Wow! Wow! The wrath of God. Please get out of your mind a picture of God somehow in heaven throwing down thunderbolts and lightning bolts at humanity. Please get that out of your mind. But nonetheless, please let's understand the heart of God as he looks at what's going on in the creation of his hand. Something is terribly wrong. It's interesting, Paul, in writing this, he says the judgment is not just future. It's actually a present judgment. In other words, we all live with the consequences of human behavior. It affects all of us. It's happening on our streets in Cambridge, in Belfast, right across the world. It's chaos. And there's a chaos that happens. And you know something? God is heartbroken. God is angry because of what has happened. I used to play amateur league football. And I was a center half, tall. And so in those days, if you're, uh, as soon as the center forward had got the ball for the very first time, you kicked him as hard as you could. Seriously. And if you went up to head the ball, you tried to headbutt him as well, so that you would ensure that he would never come near you again for the rest of the game, and he would stay away from the ball. Now, here's the point. If the referee didn't do anything, chaos descended upon the game. Chaos descended. Chaos reigns on planet Earth, and God is heartbroken, and God needs to intervene, and that's exactly what happened. Paul reasons this way. Let me read it to you as we go on. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, been understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So Paul, Paul reasons like this. There is a God, and everybody knows inherently that there's someone greater than themselves. How do they know it? Because of creation. I don't know whether you, you watch the David Attenborough programs. They're absolutely fascinating, aren't they? And as you watch them, something, you go, whoa, this is amazing. How did that animal know to do that? How did the tides go the way they go? There's something in creation that resonates with humanity. That there is a God, there is an architect. And there's a, there's a sense in which, because of the sense of right and wrong in our own lives, we also know we have, a, we have a moral compass. All of humanity has a moral compass, a conscience that tells us something is right. So humanity is without excuse because of the witness of God's creation. 
There's a great story, uh, certainly documented. I, as a church, we've been working uh, with a people group in the, on the border of Burma or Myanmar and Thailand called the Karen people. I don't know if you've heard this story. But the story of the Korean people is this. Is when we first went to them, we discovered that they're all Christian. Now, by that, I, I don't mean they're all born again, but I mean that the base level of what they've been brought up on is Christian. And it's going back hundreds of years. The oral tradition in their society is this, that somewhere along the line in their tribe, some of the elders recognized this creation had to be made by someone. And, and, and if, there is, if there is a being who created us, who created the earth, then sooner or later, he want to communicate with us. They actually have the story of that he created a man and a woman, and they ate something and disobeyed God. It's in going back hundreds of years. And, and whenever the Burmese came and tried to convert them to Buddhism, they resolutely refused, and they, they always believed that a white man, who they'd never seen, would come with white wings and tell them about this God. 1817, an American missionary called Adoniram Judson came to Burma. For seven years he labored without any fruit. Tried to convert uh, Buddhists. One person came to Christ. Until one day he met one of the Karen tribe. And through interpreter told him about the gospel. Within several months... Thousands of the Koran people had come to Christ, were baptized. Why? Because someone said there must be a God because of creation. We are without excuse. That's what God says in his word. And then in, in chapter 122, right into three, uh, he says this, something else happens. For although they knew God through his witness and creation, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him but in their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Something else happens when someone blatantly rejects the knowledge of God that they have in creation. They swap it for a lie. They begin to believe something else. What's the problem? Well, the problem is sin. Not, not sins, not the stuff that you do that's wrong, but the core of the problem and sin is this, it's a propensity of humanity to live as if they are God. Sin is the decision to live away from God rather than towards him. The decision can be blatant, it can be subtle, and it's a constant battle. It's the oldest battle in the world. And the temptation is to live as if we are not accountable for our lives, moment by moment, to the one who made us. Sin is the failure to live under the rule of God. We sin when we place ourselves in charge of our lives. It's universal. All of humanity does that. And out of that flow our behavior. But ultimately, when we reject the knowledge of God and creation and the revelation that we have, something happens. We begin to worship something else. Paul talks about idols. He says this, they became fools. 
They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a, 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 a mortal human being, sorry, a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Now, in ancient days, of course, particularly in Rome, they had idols. They had literal physical idols and people were expected to bow down. Eventually, the, the emperor became an idol. There was emperor worship. He was the Lord. He was the God. And so they bowed down to him. And of course, at the heart of sin is replacing God with idols. We are hardwired to give our lives for something. We will worship something that will give us meaning and significance. And we reject the witness of God that we have. We have to fill it with something, with something that is in society. They exchanged, they replaced the true God with substitutes. Now, what would that be today? What would that be today? Well, in Cambridge, it might well be Knowledge, the pursuit of knowledge, it's a God. What might it be in other places? I was preaching in Portadown last week and a young man came up to me and he said, Paul, never been to a football match in my life, but I went on Boxing Day. My team was playing. He said, he said I have never been in an atmosphere like it. He said, and he used these words. I was shocked. He said, I experienced true worship. There are things in our society that we have placed above and beyond God and they have become our idols. And when we reject God, we have to fill the worship of him with something. They exchanged, they replaced. We have a shrine in football. We've got our colors, we've got our community, we've got our songs. And you know something? When you beat your biggest rivals, the endorphins kick in. I remember coming home, we beat our rivals this year. Did I mention that? Uh, on Boxing Day. And I said to Priscilla, that's the true meaning of Christmas. No, I was joking, of course. I was joking, of course. I was joking, of course. But here's the point. When things are upgraded to God, we're in the realm of idolatry. Whatever form it takes, our hearts are prone to replacing the true God with substitutes that promise more for less. Not just doing bad. It's even putting good things in the place of God. John Calvin, the theologian, said this. The heart is a perpetual idol, a factory idol. We often make huge sacrifices in our lives to find significance and security through careers, money, travel, academic achievement, often good in themselves. But here's the point. When you upgrade them to God, we cross the modern threshold of a modern day temple. At the heart of sin are disordered desires that exchange God for other dreams. We exchange God for other lovers and goals that promise to fulfill us and free us, but they don't. So having rejected the witness in creation that God has given to us, and we turn something, we turn away, and we say, we're not going to bow down to that God. We're going to rule our own lives. Our thinking becomes foolish. You say, what does God do? God says this to humanity. If that's what you want, you can have it. Paul says, he gave them over. He gave them over. When we exchange the worship of God for idols and substitutes, something twists. We are become disordered, and it leads to brokenness, abuse, and lust. I need to read this to you. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful, shamefulness. Even their women exchanged natural relationships for unnatural ones. 
In the same way, men also abandon natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. David Foster Wallace said, Worship money and you live in the fear of never having enough. Worship body image and beauty and you'll feel ugly and inadequate by comparison. Worship intellect, you'll always feel stupid. A fraud on the verge of being found out. And having rejected the knowledge of God and turned to the worship of ourselves and the things that give us significance, something begins to go. And when you don't follow God's pattern, our desires become distorted and we become broken. Now, he uses sexuality as a case study. He mentions other things, and I'm going to mention them, okay? But here's the point. Creation, God's creation affirms that sexual union is good. God created sex. Because God created mankind in his own image, male and female, and it established God's pattern for sexual union and procreation. All other sexual acts outside of this are not according to God's pattern or God's will. It was God's gift to be enjoyed exclusively between a man and a woman in an exclusive monogamous lifelong covenantal relationship. Now, it was obvious to everybody in Rome that, that man's desire for sex had become distorted Horrific record, records of sexual parties where nothing was off limits. And when disordered desire given full reign, the gift of sex is exchanged for dark lust and leads to further brokenness. The whole thrust of it is this, that nobody is off the hook. Made in God's image, we're all called to purity and faithfulness. And when we lie or gossip or fail to love, we exchange the, God, the glory of God for idols that dehumanize us. And we and the whole of society suffer when disordered desires run wild. Paul says, this is out of control. Now, the passage doesn't solely focus on sexual sin because in chapter, uh, chapter 1, uh, 28 to 31, here's what he says. Furthermore, just as we did not think it worthwhile to, worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a, a depraved mind. They've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. There are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil, they disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no faithfulness, no love, no mercy. Paul's simply saying this, that when we reject, when humanity rejects the knowledge of God, and they begin to say, no, actually, I'm not accountable to God. And sin begins to take its root in our lives. We turn to idols because we have to worship something. And when we don't worship according to the pattern that God has laid down, even our natural desires become distorted and broken. And society is in the valley of sin. And the whole of society suffers when disordered desires run wild. But there's hope. There's hope. 
When you go into chapter 2 up to chapter 3, he covers every exit. It, it, it looks as if there could be a way out for those who, as John Calvin said, we're not as bad as we could be, but we're not as good as we should be. So there's a, there's a group of people who are going, Whoa, look at those people there, the way they're living. That's disgraceful. It's disgusting. This doesn't count for me. Paul says, oh no, wait, wait a second. Because he could be talking about the, the Jewish believers who kept the law. And, and, and they might have thought, that's not my life. I've kept the law and I've lived an exemplary life. The consequences of unrighteousness is obvious, but, but, but not for me. And Paul turns then on self-righteousness. I don't live like that. Now, actually today, those type of people are very rare because of the society we live in. Not many people who are like that, actually. Religious people. Feeling that compared to Hitler, Paul, Pot, Stalin, we're not that bad. Paul's not going to have any of it. He's clear that wherever part of humanity you come from, we even violate our own standards and we all stand under the judgment of God, just like the unrighteous. Don't we do that? We draw a circle around our behavior and we go, well, this is okay, but everything outside that's not okay. And Paul said, no, 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 no. Because people who live like that can be blind. Like the Pharisees in the Bible, they have a certain set of behavioral tests which define their goodness and they pass with flying colors. Actually, you know something? Self-righteous people can be the most wicked, sinful people of all because they claim to be close to God, though in effect they've sought to accomplish something that only God can do. That is to redeem them and to save them. And when we live like that, we suffer the consequences. When you go back right through to chapter 319, Paul says this interesting verse. He says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. It was common practice in a Roman court of law that when all the evidence had been heard and the defendant couldn't defend himself anymore, they held their, they held their hand over their mouth. In other words, had nothing more to say. In, 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 other words, in other words, it was a gesture of resignation. Paul's goal is not to offend everybody, to make sure, but simply this, to make sure that the whole of the universe, whether religious or not, all stand upon the same ground. And ladies and gentlemen, if you're watching online or in this room, he finishes this passage with this, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Not one of us. We're all of us at some time in the valley of sin. There's no ascent until we descend into that and we realize it. Actually, it's an interesting one. There's something refreshing about taking responsibility for your life. The, the, the concept of sin has been replaced by uh, a blame culture. It's not my fault. I, I, I don't want to belittle what people go through, but we do live in a therapeutic culture which strives endlessly to raise our self-esteem. If we had better education, greater social equality, more therapy, plenty of positive thinking, our lives would be transformed. That's what we're told, but not what we know. We know. Romans resonates deeply with what we know about ourselves. And what is that? We're all flawed. And we all need rescued. It feels honest, but it's painful. And at some stage, everyone who's a Christian has come to that point. I can't help myself. We all stand on the same ground and we fall short of the glory of God. I'm not, I'm not a pessimist in any shape or form, 
But humanity is not on an upward curve of enlightenment forever more uh, sophisticated ways because you know something? Every generation continues the same pattern exchanging what the truth of God for a lie, worshiping created things rather than the creator. And we haven't changed. We're in the valley of sin. And if the condition is the same, that is that we're all sinners, guess what? The remedy is the same for all of us. As I come to a close now, let me tell you a little story. I I was a did a radio interview on Good Friday a few years ago in, uh, on Radio Ulster, the BBC. And they wanted to have my perspective on, you know, what's Easter about, etc. And the interviewer said to me, um, now, Pastor Reid, um, why did Jesus die? And, uh, and before, before I answered, she answered the question. She said, it's all about love, isn't it? And I said, well, it's definitely true that he loved us. But I said, but, but it's a little bit more than that. And she said, what do you mean? I said, well, imagine a young couple are walking down uh, the, the banks of a river. And the young man says to, to the girl that, he, that he's with, I love you. And because I love you, I'm going to prove it by jumping into the water and drowning myself. I said, wouldn't be, there wouldn't be much loving about that, would there? That wouldn't make any sense. But I said, suppose she was in the river and she was drowning. And he dived in, and in the process of rescuing her, he lost his own life. I said, that would be love, wouldn't it? And she said, yeah, I suppose it would. You see, ladies and gentlemen, because we're in the valley of sin, we need rescuing. And God sent a rescuer, and his name is Jesus. And he is the only one who can lift us out of the valley of sin. We were and are perishing. We need a savior. And God has said, you can't help yourself. I'm going to come in the person of my son and rescue you. And next week, we'll get the fuller explanation of that. We don't finish on a negative note. We finish on this. If God has been convicting you today that you're stuck in the valley of sin, right at this moment, you can be lifted out because there is a Savior who died for you and bore the penalty of your sin. He's here this morning by His Spirit and He wants to rescue Let's pray. Father, thank you that although we were stuck in the valley of sin, you sent a rescuer. The only one who can enable us to get a foothold on the ascent up the mountain. We are so grateful today for Jesus. We thank you, Father, that he is still the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes for all humanity. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the C3 podcast. If this message has spoken to you today in some way, we would love to know. Reach out to us at hello at the C3.uk. And if you want to extend the reach of what we do here, why not consider giving by going to thec3.uk forward slash giving. And as always, subscribe to our channel and share this episode with a friend. We hope to see you soon.